Kings chapter 8. I I loved my mother's smile and sense of humor, except for at one time, and that was usually when it was at my expense. And she was uh, great at that. I loved her smile, miss her smile. But um, one of those stories, she would tell stories about me when I was young, and I really don't remember a lot of these things, but I get my mother's version, and so it, this story may be completely different um, from the way I tell it, but this is what I remember from my mother telling me, and I remember this a little bit too. When I was a child, I, I had a problem, and that problem was is that I was a bad a thumb sucker when I was a child. And I got a wart on my thumb. Am I telling the story right so far, Dad? And um, my mom took me to the doctor, and they gave me some medicine to put on that wart. And they got home, and my dad grabbed my hand, put it right next to my face, and said, Scott, we're going to put medicine on your thumb. And if you suck your thumb, you're going to get sick. Okay, Dad. Now is it. I never sucked my thumb again. I listened to my father, and he told me, this is going to be bad for you if you keep doing this. Stop. Is that how it went? Kind of, pretty much it? No, that look from my dad that you better be done or you're going to get sick. Okay. And sometimes, you know, God comes and he tells us where we're talking about biblical prophecy. And God tells us, uh, better make a change. Something needs to be different or else. And sometimes that's the case. And as I, I read about um, Elisha, there is somebody in the Bible that really caused a lot of problems to Israel. And by the time that this prophecy in 2 Kings chapter 8 and verse 7 comes along, God had been saying to him, You're done. This has to end. And we're going to see how this prophecy plays out. Um, I had two illustrations um, today, and I think that this might take two weeks, so I'll save the next the other one for next week. But let's read in 2 Kings chapter 8, verse 7 to 15. It says, Then Elisha went to Damascus, and Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, was sick. And it was told him, saying, The man of God has come here. And the king said to Hazael, Take a present in your hand and go to meet the man of God and inquire of the Lord by him, saying, Shall I recover from this disease? So Hazael went to meet him and took a present with him of every good thing of Damascus, 40 camel loads. And he came and stood before him and said, Your son 
Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, has sent me to you, saying, Shall I recover from this disease? And Elisha said to him, Go say to him, You shall certainly recover. However, the Lord has shown me that he will really die. Then he set his countenance in a stare until he was ashamed. And the man of God wept. And Hazael said, Why is my Lord weeping? He said, Because I know the evil that you will do for the children of Israel. Their strongholds you will set on fire. Their young men you will kill with a sword. And you will dash their children. And rip open their women with child. So Hazael said, But what is your servant, a dog, that he should do this gross thing? And Elisha answered, The Lord has shown me that you will become the king of Syria. Then he departed from Elisha and came to his master, who said to him, What did Elisha say to you? And he answered, He told me you would surely recover. But it happened on the next day that he took a thick cloth and dipped it in water and spread it over his face so that he died. And Hazael reigned in his place. So as, as I look at this passage of scripture, I see the prophecy of Ben-Hadad that Elisha had. He said to him, he told him, he said, he said, you will recover from this disease, but you will really die. Uh, Elisha knew what he was talking about. He had this all figured out, and um, the message sounded pretty good to begin with. But at the same time, tucked underneath it was a message of despair. And so as we look at this, the, the prophecy in Syria, this happens outside of the realm of Judah, outside of the realm of the nation of Israel. This happens in Syria. And we have to remember that, that God is the God of the whole world, right? His agenda, his purpose, his pleasure is global. It's not just, it's not just centered in the United States of America. Uh, God is at work in China. He's at work in Russia. And he's at work all over the world. And in this day... Elisha just happens to be in Syrian territory on an altogether different purpose. He's not there to talk to Ben-Hadad. We read in verse 7, it just so happens that he's there. And Ben-Hadad gets sick. He gets very sick. Remember, he's got a different God. We talked about that a few weeks ago. He had a temple to Ramon and one of the gods of Syria. And when he gets sick, says that he wants to go to Elisha and inquire of the Lord. Yahweh, Elohim, not his own God. He goes and he sends this messenger, Hazael, with a question. Will I recover? Am I going to survive this? As I think about that, um, sometimes don't we notice that, that people who are outside of the church, who won't be here on Sunday morning, that when things start to go bad in their life, their world begins to fall apart, and, and all of a sudden they, they, 
They want to talk to the pastor. They might want to, uh, somebody to pray for you. They, they notice, they recognize the fact that God answers prayer. There are people in the world who might, who might not act like they believe in God. They might not even claim to believe in God. But when push comes to shove and everything goes wrong and they realize that there are big problems in their life, then they will turn and try to look for answers. I don't have a problem with that because many people have been saved. Many lives have been changed because God has placed a problem in someone's life and they turn to people that they know and they understand have the answer. And it's at that time when they go and they, they inquire of someone who they understand has real help, but they find a God who is faithful to make a difference in their lives. I'd like us to take a little bit of a step backwards in the book of 2 Kings. Let's go all the way back to chapter 1. And this is a story in the life of Elisha. And in 2 Kings chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, It says, Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. Now Ahaziah fell through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and was injured. So he sent messengers and said to them, Go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this injury. But the angel of the Lord said to the Tishbite, Arise, go up to the messenger of the king of Samaria, and say to them, Is it not, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? As I read that passage of scripture, I, I look at what we read today, and I look at what I read here back in the life of Elijah, and I see a big contrast. In 2 Kings chapter 1, you have the king of Israel, God's chosen people. He reigned in Samaria. He gets sick, and he's worried about if he's going to die, and he doesn't go to God for answers. He doesn't go to the God that can help him to, to find help in his time of need. And then we get to 2 Kings chapter 8, and we read about this Syrian king who's in a similar situation. And he's sick and he's worried about if it's a sickness unto death. And he goes to the man of God, Elisha, for help. And he inquires of him of what's going to happen. I, I think that's kind of something that we need to pay attention to. And we need to say, okay, we're a Christian. We're here on Sunday. And... Things fall apart in our world. Our, our life turns upside down. A sickness comes into our life. Maybe like these guys, we're worried that we're going to die. Financial problems come. Our family is having problems. Do we look outside of the church and outside of the places that we need to for help? Or do we go to God first? Now, I am... I am by no means suggesting 
that if you get sick, you shouldn't go to the doctor. You should just pray about it. I'm not suggesting something like that. I'm saying that if you get sick, who's the first person that you talk to? I'd, I'd, I would so much rather walk into a doctor's office talking to my heavenly father and say, Father in heaven, would you help that doctor be able to treat me? God, I want you to be a part of this. Because God is the person who is ultimately in control of your life and what is going to happen to you. He is sovereign, he heals, and he directs in your life. He's God. And when our world begins to be turned upside down and problems come our way, the first person we need to be reaching out to for help is God. And sometimes, I I, I grab that here, people who are loosely uh, affiliated with church, like the king of Samaria, when problems come their way, the first thing that they do isn't they get on their knees and, and ask God. And God's probably up in heaven. He's saying, I'm God. I'm here to help you. Don't you have a God that's there every Sunday for you to help you? And you have prayer. You have access to the throne of God. And you don't run to me when, I, when I'm able to help you. But then we see people who aren't in the word of God, who don't necessarily even say that they believe in God, who aren't associated with the church, that when their life begins to fall apart, they come running to God and they say, they say, I, I need prayers, I need help. And, and so often, every week, I know that I get somebody asking for prayer for an unsaved person because they don't know where else to turn. I don't have a problem with that. But the thing is, is in contrast, we as children of God, we need to be going to God because he has the answers. Don't leave him saying, isn't there a God in heaven who is able to fix your problems? Why haven't you come to me for help? So I write up there, is there not a God in Israel to inquire of? From 2 Kings chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. I believe prayer changes things. And this king wanted reality. And so when the problems began to come in his life and things began to fall apart, he wanted real answers and he knew that the real answers came from God. The prayer of faith has the power to heal the sick and to help sinners find forgiveness. I have been so encouraged as I've really taking this different avenue in my life. Let's turn in our Bibles to James chapter 5, and I'll talk as we're looking. James chapter 5. I heard this morning, and I was thinking a couple of times, camp starting. And this kind of got mixed emotions for me. I love to start a camp, and I love the staff coming in and being able to work in their lives and, and to watch... God, do amazing things for evangelism to take place and to see kids' lives change for eternity. I love that, and I miss that. But at the same time, um, that was more of an evangelistic type of ministry and discipleship, and the job was always to get them saved, to disciple them, and then to send them out. It was never a long-term ministry. 
It wasn't supposed to be. It wasn't designed to be. When you get a kid that works at camp, about the time they get really good at working at camp, it's time for them to do something else. It's time for them to move on. But here at church, it's been really different because you've gotten I've gotten an opportunity to really get to know people and to pray with them and to rejoice with them as they rejoice, to weep with them as they weep. And it's more of a long-term ministry. I, I, that's a big difference between the two. And I appreciate that. And I, I thank God for being able to be a part of both. But one of the things that I have just watched over the last uh, three years here as the assistant pastor, now the pastor, is to see people pray and God answer prayers in a great and mighty way. One of the most biggest blessings that I've seen. And James chapter 5 and verse 15 is real and it's powerful. And if it's not one of your uh, favorite ver- passages of scripture, James 5, 15 to 17, try it and live it and find God to be faithful. It says in James 5, 15, the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that he may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Today, I think that one of the things that we are lacking is the fear of God that Ben-Hadad had, that he realized that God was a sovereign God, and that he had the answers, and that he looked to Elisha. But one of the other things that I noticed in this passage of Scripture is what Ben-Hadad tried to do. He said, I want you to go and I want you to talk to Elisha and I want you to get the answers from Elisha and find out if I'm going to be healed from this. Don't, don't you notice that this is very similar to what happened in the story of Naaman when he, he was dunked in the River Jordan seven times? What happens in this passage? Same, same trick. And people often try the same thing over and over again. It says there in this passage of scripture that he tried to buy God's favor. He sent camel loads of good things, 40 camel loads, to try and buy God. You can't buy God. He doesn't need you to buy to purchase his favor. He can act and he can heal and he doesn't care if you have more money than so and so. But he cares that you fear him. He cares that you pray to him. He cares that you are faithful to him. He cares that you have a relationship and you are obedient to him. 
He desires mercy and not sacrifice. Let's turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 8 and verse 18. As we see another passage of scripture where someone tried to buy God's favor. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 18. In Acts 8 and verse 18 it says, And when Simon saw that through the laying on of, of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you, because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter. For your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this your wickedness. And pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. As I read, read that passage of scripture about Simon the sorcerer. This guy saw that there is power from God. And he said, I want that power. I want the Holy Spirit alive and at work in my life. Here's money. Here, here. Well, will you help? And, and Peter's answered exactly what he should be. No, you can't buy God's favor. If you're here today and you're trying to purchase God's favor, it's not going to work because that's not what God desires from you. God wants you to pray. He wants you to be on your knees. He wants you to be serving him. He wants to go and he wants, I love it here. It says the gift of God could not be purchased with money. So many times in the New Testament, we read about the gift of God. And when we read about it, we read about the fact that it's a gift come from God. Then we get into uh, this prophecy. What Elisha says in 2 Kings chapter 8. And it's twofold. He says, first he says, prophecy. He will recover. Good. That sounds great, right? As a matter of fact, Elisha's pretty emphatic about this. Benadad's going to recover from this disease. But there's a second part to this prophecy also. But he will really die. Did you continue reading the story? And I hope we're going to get here. And we're going to talk about that today. When Hazael gets back to talk to Ben-Hadad, he leaves out that second part. He says, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got the message from Elisha. You're going to recover. But what part doesn't he tell him? But you're really going to die. And there's a reason for that. And we're going to get to that. And then in that conversation, Something that, as I read this, and I read this, and I read this, and I, I kind of meditated on this passage of Scripture to prepare for this morning. The gaze and the weeping. Elisha knows exactly what's going to happen. That Hazael is going to become the new king of Syria. And did you, it kind of, it, hopefully, if you are a believer in God, and you live under God's moral standards, and you read what Hazael is going to do to the children of Israel, 
As we look in 2 Kings chapter 8, let's let's read it again. In 2 Kings chapter 8, just so we kind of remember. I know the evil that you will do to the children of Israel. Their strongholds will be set on fire. Their young men you will kill with the sword. You will dash their children and rip open their women with child. I hope that that breaks your heart as much as it breaks mine. You just picture Elisha. He knows what Hazael is going to do. And he stares at him in the face. And he contemplates it. And this is an intense stare. He begins to cry. He said, I know it's coming. Kind of reminds me, as we look at our nation around us today, abortion, infanticide, you know, what he would do to the children. And he would rip open the mothers that were getting ready to bear a child. And it broke Elisha's heart. And hopefully as, as we can see a world in which it appears that evil is winning, it breaks our heart too. And we understand that as we get closer and closer to the return of Jesus Christ. The world, our enemy, our adversary, is going to be working harder and harder against Christianity, against what is right. And then when the church is raptured away, and we go, the church is pulled out of this world, what's going to happen to this world is going to just increase exponentially. If we think it's bad now, I'd hate to see what it looks like a year after the rapture of the church. And like Elisha, as we understand that reality, our hearts should break for this world. Our hearts should break for, for Christians, young Christians, who are going to grow up in a world that is in trouble. And then I'd like to put up here, I'd like to put up here the problem with prophecy. And in 2 Kings chapter 8, we have the problem with prophecy. And I alluded to this already. The problem with prophecy is if you add to it or take away from it. Right? Does that make sense? Is God's word edify us? Absolutely. Does the prophetic word admonish us to do right? Absolutely. Does the prophetic word encourage us? And build us up. Absolutely. But when you, like Hazael, take away from it or add to it, there can be a problem. Let's turn in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 22 and verse 18. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 18. It says, For I testify... To everyone who hears the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the, of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, 
and from the things which are written in this book. So Hazael has been commissioned by the king to go and talk to Elisha. And he goes and he talks to Elisha. And Elisha says, he will recover, but he will really die. Hazael goes to Ben-Hadad and he said, I got the news from Elisha. You're going to recover. This sickness is not what's going to be the death of you. And Ben-Hadad's probably like, oh, great, wonderful. But what did, ben, what did, what did Hazael leave out? You're going to die. That's going to be the truth. And the next day, what's Hazael doing to him? He's killing him. He's the guy that is responsible for fulfilling that prophecy. And as I think about that, and as I put that into perspective, and I think about that, there are some people that want to take this book and they want to twist it. They want to cut portions out. On Thursday nights, those we've been looking and what we've been finding about, I love the, those of you guys who were at Thursday night for our Bible study, I loved our discussion on Thursday night. We learned that cults, they often have a prophetic nature. They take the Bible and they go, chick, chick, chick. I don't like that part. And they say, oh, but I do like this message. And they put things in. And they add to them. They change what we believe about the deity of Christ that's found written in this book. They change what we believe about the return of Christ and what's found written in this book. And they try to make it fit their own agenda. That's very, very dangerous. Very dangerous. Many people will miss out on eternity in heaven because they followed someone who changed this book and changed the prophecies that are written in this book for their own agenda. And that's a sad state of affairs. The Bible is of no private interpretation. Let's take a look in our Bibles to 2 Kings, or 2 Peter, excuse me, 2 Peter chapter 8. There is no 2 Peter chapter 8. Just realized that as I was writing, as I was getting it, I'll find it. Second Peter chapter one. Second Peter chapter one, verse nineteen. It says, "And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed, as a light that shines in dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts." Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So as you live your life, let this book be the foundation of everything that you believe. Don't try and make your own beliefs. Don't try and listen to someone who deviates from this book. 
You need a firm foundation. You need the word of God to be your absolute authority. As I've been looking at this, this section on prophecy that I'm, that I'm giving, I would title this whole, whole couple week series. You need to know the book. You need to let it be the foundation for what you believe. If you want to believe something, you can probably find a person who will agree with you. That does not make it right. If it came from God, the final authority, the creator, and it's written in his book, written by men that have been critiqued and looked at in this book, proven to be true and proven to be faithful, let this be the final authority in your life. Let it be the message that guides you. Let it light your path. Don't listen to a private interpretation, a half-truth. You know, sometimes we, we need to make a change in our life. And sometimes God chastens us. And next week, we're going to continue this idea of chasing. Ben had dad died because of the things that he had done to Israel. The guy who followed him wasn't much better. Next week, we're going to take a look at the three ways that God chastens people. Sometimes we need to listen. We need to listen quickly. Because the things that God says to us, if we hear them and if we listen, will make a difference in, in our world. I picture um, this morning as I, I was talking, my dad said, he grabbed that thumb, he looked at me, so we're going to put medicine on it. If you put that in your mouth, you're going to get sick. I looked up and I said, okay, dad. You know, God does that to this. Here's your medicine, right? Here's the, the inspired word that has the ability to change your life. And God says, this is, this is going to save you. Don't deny it. Listen to it. We need to look up and we need to say, okay, Dad. Right? Let's pray. Dear Holy Father, we as Christians, we think of the story of Ben-Hadad and Hazael. And even Ahazia in 2 Kings chapter 1. And we see a person who grew up in the nation of Israel, and he ran to a foreign god when troubles came. And then we see a man who grew up outside of Israel. When problems came, he ran to the Lord. And then we see a man, Hazael, who twisted and turned the word of God, and it broke Elisha's heart. And Lord, our foundation is the book. And you've given that to us, and we said these scriptures are for you to learn and for you to be changed. And I pray that you'll just help us to take the word of God, to look up and say, okay, Father, I'll listen to you. No matter what you say, no matter where you want me to go, I will follow you. And Lord, if we need to make a change in our life, we need to hear, heed your word fully. I pray that you'll help us
to listen to you. And that you would change our hearts. In your son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen.